so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning, and it's designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the latest tech news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Daniel Strand, who's an assistant professor of ethics at the United States Air Force Air War College and a contributing editor of Providence Magazine. On this episode, we talk about AI, ethics, and warfare. Dr. Strand's research interests include the political and moral theology of Augustine of Hippo, ethics and foreign policy, the just war tradition, bioethics, and moral theory. He's the author of a forthcoming book, Gods of Nations from Cambridge University Press, which is a historical study of Augustine's political theology in the city of God. He received his B.A. from the University of Minnesota, an M.Div. from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and a Ph.D. in Religion and Ethics from the University of Chicago. So let's join our conversation. Well, Dr. Shane, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started working in the area of ethics? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I don't know if it was one thing in particular. It was uh, probably a confluence of things. I grew up really fascinated by philosophy, to be honest. Uh, I, I read kind of some philosophy, maybe junior high, some light stuff. And then I really got into it in high school. And um, I think that coupled with doing a lot of international travel, uh, honestly, I did missions trips. Uh, when I was 16, I went to the Ukraine in worked um, in an orphan, orphan's camp along the Black Sea. And I've done, um, I did a lot of personal traveling just around Europe to and through Asia. And um, I did short-term missions trips in uh, Russia and India. And um, I, think the, I think just the combination of all those experiences really brought, and then um, becoming a Christian in college. Um, I've been sort of nominally Christian growing up. Really brought home the importance of made these international sorts of ethics questions really vivid for me and you know, always captivated me. So got an MDiv at Gordon-Conwell, decided I wanted to go become a teacher academic route, and I did a PhD in ethics at, at University of Chicago. And um, yeah, so that's it's how I found myself here today. Yeah, and I know you've done a considerable amount of work in just war theory, thinking through a lot of the international kind of diplomatic issues surrounding ethics. And one of those specific areas is a lot of the uh, continued conversation and debate surrounding artificial intelligence, technology, and warfare. What are some of the things that you think that Christians should be aware of as they think a lot about these kind of issues surrounding technology, ethics, and war? 
Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing, if I'm counseling Christians, it's that um, Christians don't have special knowledge about these issues. I mean, we, we do have a unique ethic, right, That's, um, that we draw from our faith. But you know the Holy the Holy Spirit in Scripture and the Church body can can make us wise people, but it doesn't make us experts. And a lot of time, um, I think evangelicals get themselves in the hot water because they have a pretty strong reactive streak. And um, I think before we speak on these issues, um, church leaders, uh, theologians, pastors, whoever, they need to be informed. And they need to be informed um, by best research out there. Appreciate the complexity. I mean, this is just it's just a really um, big topic. So that was that's kind of first thing I would counsel as people begin to sort of wade into this really um, important but heavy and complex topic. Well, I know you've spent a considerable amount of your academic life studying just war theory and the works of Augustine. Can you give us a little overview for those of us who might not be familiar with just war theory and a lot of the complexity surrounding it and how Augustine's thoughts on politics and the role of the state kind of helped to equip the church to engage a lot of these contentious issues? Yeah. So when it comes to these issues, I find when I engage with Christians, both lay and academic, that what I think evangelicals in particular really need to rediscover is the sort of collective Christian and moral wisdom from our forebears. And it is long. So I, I study Augustine of Hippo. I mean, he was a bishop in the third and, or the, the fourth and fifth century AD. Uh, it goes back before that, even though Augustine's probably the seminal thinker in those terms in the in the early church, if we define it as sort of going up to about the fifth or sixth century. Um, but even after that, uh, we, there's just been a whole, there's the, especially what we call the Middle Ages, the medieval period, there's a lot of work done, a lot of very deep work done on questions of law, morality, ethics, and warfare. This is where we get the just war tradition. So my first plug would be for Protestants to really rediscover the sort of Catholic small c moral and, and political uh, wisdom from our past. And uh, so to the just war in particular, just war tradition is the body. I call it a tradition rather than a theory because it, it has been developed over time. And it's in some ways um, constantly morphing a little bit as it contextualizes itself in different periods. But it's basically a set of moral rules that Christians developed. It was both um, legal scholars, theologians, um, politicians, church councils that that developed this tradition, drawing upon um, Augustine was a was a major influence. But just the Bible, they also drew heavily upon Roman legal thought. So this didn't really come, the just war tradition didn't really come to sort of its full flowering until what we'd call the high middle ages. And, um, uh, and so it was, a, it was a, it was a theory designed for heads of state to engage. This was, this is happening in what we call Latin Christendom or, you know, basically Europe at the time. And, and rulers actually cared that they observed um, sort of, moral restraints and, and engaging in war in a just manner. So you have a lot of debates going back and forth. You have a lot of really good thinking and um, about when it's proper to go to war, what's 
you know, proper weapons to be used, when can wars be fought and so forth. And that, that comes all the way up to our present day, where you have really in the last 30, 40 years, just been a major revival, both amongst Christians, but also um, secular philosophers, non-religious philosophers working on these, these questions. So it's, it's very deep and robust and kind of broad conversation. On Augustine, I would say, there, I mean, Augustine is just such a dominant figure when it comes to politics and ethics. It's really hard to overestimate um, in just the sort of influence he has. And it's, it's, it's an amazing influence. There's just nobody really more influential than Augustine. But when it comes to politics in particular, I would say I, I subscribe to a, a, a tradition inspired by Augustine called Christian realism which was uh, Reinhold Niebuhr was the most probably recent major figure to stand in this stream of, of thinking. Um, and what Christian realists would say is, you know, they kind of give us a vision of the world as imperfectible, as fallen, as you know, disordered. If we would, you know, have so a strong sense of this kind of sinfulness of individuals, but also of collective humanity. But that political authorities still play a, a really important role in bringing about justice and maintaining order and peace, uh, but that that is going to be a limited role. And so Christian realists tend to, they're realists. They, they, they understand that the world is not going to be perfected. It's very anti-utopian, the sense that we're not going to bring this sort of perfect world. Oftentimes when we try to bring this perfect world, it creates uh, worse problems. And so there's a sort of sobriety to it as well. Um, but, you know, at least in terms of kind of a, a general intuition of what Augustine provides, I think that's, that's a big part of it. To drill down a little bit on just war tradition, if you were going to give a short synopsis of what just war tradition is, what are some of the basic tenets? Yeah. So the just war tradition, um, started off with, to they kind of developed separately. So the development of the tradition is very fascinating. You can read histories about it. You have, but, but two kind of essential elements. One is called jus ad bellum, the Latin term, which means justice towards war, or what are the conditions and when it's okay to go to war. And then you have jus in bello, jus, I-U-S, which is the word justice in Latin, is um, justice in war. So how do we fight justly? Those are the two kind of categories, big categories that are developed. Um, so for if you're talking to a person, that, and there's criteria, they have criteria that say you need to meet right authority, you know, just cause, right intention, and then you have other criteria that are developed alongside of that. But you, there's ways to kind of think through, okay, does this constitute a, you know, a just reason for going to war? And when then you're fighting to the war, you want to make sure you're you're fighting in a what they call discriminate, that you're making distinctions. You're not going after civilians. You're going after you know legitimate targets and uh, you know enemy combatants, and and then proportionality that you're not using you're using the right amount of force in order to achieve your uh, your, your objectives. So that's that's the basic pitch of of the tradition. And really, so someone combines those ideas, the real important thing is whether or not you take them seriously and whether you're going to apply them with sincerity and integrity. And you can find a lot of people pay lip service to it and, um, and not really pay a lot of attention to really making sure that we're implementing them. 
Well, do a lot of the modern technologies, especially the rise of advanced AI systems, challenge any of those ideas of just war tradition or make them more difficult to really engage in? I don't think so. You know, in recent, say, last century, there was discussions about whether or not nuclear weapons made the just war tradition obsolete. I don't think so. Just war thinking had to adapt and think about a new technology that was challenging and expanded and challenged the you know, kind of the basic way of doing warfare. So I don't see AI as being any different. It's going to take, people are working on the question right now. So I think it falls within the realm of moral concern of, of ethics, but it does take a while for us to kind of get our mind around it and understand, you know, what's what's going on. I know recently there's been a number of campaigns, kind of very public campaigns with a lot of different signers from AI scientists and uh, leaders from around the world signing on a a ban of killer robots or advanced AI and warfare. And these bans on certain technologies come from a range of calls that we've had over the years to ban certain types of uh, technologies, like as you said earlier, with nuclear weapons or bans on mustard gas and landmines used in warfare. Do we currently have any autonomous weapon systems that you know about? And how should Christians think about these potential bans on technology and warfare? Yeah, uh, so the the word autonomy, of course, is is the key word. And uh, autonomy comes in a spectrum. There's, um, you know, there's, there's various levels of human interaction and machine autonomy I mean the, the machines are are functioning without human direct human control so that's a that's a spectrum so it's not a sort of yes or no this autonomous or not autonomous if we're talking about full autonomy which is what the killer robots stuff conjures up the terminator you know the terminator movie series and all the dystopian you know stuff that we watched as kids um there's nothing like that right now the u.s government at least i can say um the Russians are are pushing probably f- further down that, but even the stuff that they've deployed has not been terribly successful. But nothing, none of this has been, to my mind, to my knowledge at least, been fully autonomous where we're just sending out machines. Um, the U.S. government doesn't have anything on the horizon. Uh, the horizon, they're not procuring any weapon systems right now that would not have a human being in the loop. That means the human controlling, monitoring, pulling the trigger, but there is autonomy. There's always been autonomy. So you reference, we can go back to landmines. Landmines are actually an autonomous weapon. They function, you put them in the ground, and um, if you they're triggered, then they explode. But that's not a human in the loop. So that's a really kind of primitive use of autonomy. But we've had autonomy at different levels, what we might call semi-autonomous weapons. For a long time, we use missile, the Patriot Defense you know, missile system, so forth. We use them in, in um, you know, in, in missile tracking and in guidance systems use levels of autonomy where, you know, computer systems are, are moving around targets and, and navigating based on their own, um, even though we're selecting the targets. So, um, yeah. And so the thinking about the banning is, I don't think it's helpful uh, bans on some things have worked in the past, but it has to be under the right conditions and be the right sort of thing. Nukes worked because they're a weapon that was just so lethal and so disproportionately destructive, and only two people had them. 
well, two countries, the United States and the USSR. So we are able to work out a sanctions regime over a long period of time. And now nuclear weapons are, are basically a, a stable weapon, even though we're kind of fearful of what nukes will do. We've really built an apparatus of uh, accords and verification and so forth that has, has made them a relatively stable weapon, even though there is potential for them to be used. They are proliferating. Um, and so that that's a concern. When it comes to AI, I just an outright ban of AI or autonomous weapons of various sources is just not going to happen. The technology is too diffuse. Um, you have too many countries already in possession of this knowledge, and it's and it's just going to proliferate. More people are going to get RPAs or what we call drones. That technology is 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 has left the bottle. The genie's out of the bottle. It's the Chinese, Israelis, French, British, you know, other countries. There, so this technology is available. And so I think the idea of banning it is just not helpful because it's it's not gonna it's just not going to work. I think we can think of smart ways to hedge them in, and I think we can establish norms or we can think about certain ways to maybe limit their offensive use or so forth. So there's there's things that people are discussing right now, but I just think the the desire of the sort of killer robots is. I mean, killer robots are not on the horizon, though I think it's not an illegitimate concern. But I think we need, you know, the idea of of thinking we're going to ban them is is just unrealistic. Yeah. And I know there are nations such as the United States and nations around the world that kind of hold to certain principles of just war, maybe not to the entire tradition, but to certain principles there. But you have other nations like you mentioned with Russia and even China who might not hold to these moral norms with weapon development and use. So how would you think that the United States or even more to drill it down more locally, Christians, as we think about the development and use of these technologies, how should we be thinking about that on the world stage when you know you have actors who very well might be using or developing these tools without the kind of moral intuitions that we hold dear as Americans? Yeah, I think that's a really hard question. I think, Amer- you know, Americans, um, and to the extent America has been influenced by, you know, Christian morality, Christian ethics. Um, it's not, the Russians and the Chinese, honestly, are just not terribly bothered by a lot of these moral quandaries that people in the West are. They aren't. The Chinese, you see this in bioethics. They just, they do not have the reservations about human cloning that we do about gene editing and so forth. Uh, and so, um, so I, so I think we do have to think about the lines that we don't want to cross. And uh, I think about a great lesson from the cold war was that part of the reason I would say the West and, and the United States ended up defeating the USSR was was that the values and the sort of way of life that we presented was more appealing. And I really do think that um, if you want to say compare China or Russia to the United States or to say to kind of Western values that really, even though we're imperfect, of course, but at least we, you know, specifically state that human dignity is something that we value. um, I think uh, that's appealing. And and if if we are sort of limitless in the way that the Chinese and the Russians are in the way that they pursue these these technologies, I think we really lose that 
that advantage, which is that it's appealing to people, the sort of freedom, value of the you know, individual inherent worth and dignity. I think that that stuff is that that's an asset. And so I think we do need to compete with them, but I think we also need to protect that, which um, is essential to who we are. Yeah, and I know we've spent a good bit of time talking about some of the dangers or potential downfalls uh, surrounding technology and warfare, specifically with AI. But what are some of the positive uses of artificial intelligence and technology and warfare that we might not be thinking of? Because we often do think of those kind of Terminator killer robots. But what are some of the positive ways that these things can be used and employed that really do uphold the dignity and value and worth of every human being? Well, I think most of the ways it's being deployed is very good. It makes weapons systems. It makes uh, remotely piloted aircraft, what we call drones. It makes them more accurate. It makes them more discriminating. As te- the, the thing that I want to communicate to people is I think we need to... So the dystopian aspects of these weapons, they're dangers we should not kid ourselves about. At the same time, I think we also need to be sober in realizing AI has and will continue to be largely beneficial um, in creating missile defense systems that are more accurate, that are more effective in defending, uh, in weapons that are more discriminating. So that means when we use them, when we have to use them, they are going to create less collateral damage. So there, you know, we're, we're only really aiming at the enemies here, or in the past, um, our, our weapons were not nearly as discriminating. So just there's there's so many uses of it across the board. And I think it's been a it's been a plus. The potential downside, though, is there. And so I think people are right to be concerned. But I think you need to. Um, I think there's too much fear. There's too much Terminator kind of going into the background of people. And they think we're about to be overrun by killer robots. And that's just, that's not true. Um, I think there's been too much kind of stoking of, of, of that side. And I think we need to realize, I mean, AI really across many domains of our life has been just been a positive thing for us. It does a lot of things that humans cannot do very well. And so it, as long as we keep it in its lane, right, that's the important thing is that we make sure that AI is serving to better for human purposes and that we're not just using AI to use AI, that artificial intelligence is used for for good ends. And so that's that's really the challenge. Yeah. There's just so much here. And as you said earlier, these are extremely complex issues uh, that we really need to be equipped to engage. What are some resources as we end our time today that you might recommend for folks to be able to pick up if they're just starting to get interested or wanting to dig a little bit deeper into some of these issues? Yeah. So I'm an academic and probably what I would recommend are just books. (laughs) But uh, if you're interested in this question of, you know, artificial intelligence and the future of war, probably the best book that has come out in recent years is one called Army of None, Army of None, N-O-N-E, by Paul Shari, who um, he was at the Pentagon and now he's at a think tank in Washington. He's written, I think, the most accessible and broad based state of, you know, what's, what's the state of AI right now? And I think it will do a lot to give a sort of sober perspective, but also help you to see where it's at. Things are moving at lightning speed. I mean, that's the 
like AI research, development of technology and robots is really it's 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 going to be this is going to have the same effect as something like nuclear weapons. It's going to it's going to change warfare. So I think Christians are right to kind of want to get into that. I'd also say, you know, if we want to think about this from an ethics perspective, you mentioned I'm an editor at Providence, which is a journal that really focuses on these sorts of questions. We do a lot on the ethics of warfare. We try to bring a Christian perspective to foreign international relations and to think through the complexity of these topics. So I would commend our journal to people who are interested. I think brushing up or introducing yourself to the just war tradition could be valuable. There's two books that I think uh, that would be accessible to a lay reader, um, someone just kind of getting into this discussion. Two of them are by uh, fellow colleagues, one uh, Eric Patterson and uh, another is J. Daryl Charles. They've both written recent books. Eric's is called America's Just Wars and uh, Daryl's is, is something like Just War Tradition in America. They're both looking at American wars and applying the just war, but I think they're they're um, good, friendly engagements. Uh, they're e- easy to grasp. They do a good job of explaining it, and they they wouldn't be terribly scary. And they would show you how to how think through these cases as a way to then thinking about more complex issues like AI and the use of weapons. And we will definitely link to all of these books uh, in the show notes for listeners to be able to grab. And I definitely want to commend Army of None. It was one of my favorite reads over the last couple of years because you said it really is. It's really broad, but it's also very accessible. Uh, he layers on a lot of stories of even the history of like the Gatling gun that I didn't even realize. Um, and so I really enjoyed that and highly commend it to listeners, especially uh, Providence Journal, which I know I've been able to – the fortunate to be able to write there a few times and you guys do a really, really good job. So thank you for doing that, especially the ways that you help to serve the church and thinking through some of those complex issues. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Dr. Shane, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today here on Weekly Tech. And I'm really grateful for your work and the contributions that you're making. I know you have a book coming out pretty soon. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. The the uh, it's not not within the next couple of months, but hopefully within within the year. It's more of a historical work, so it's not terribly relevant to today, or at least in the more, you know, kind of applied sense, but it is, uh, you know, studying Augustine of Pippo and his political theology is really one of my first loves. Um, I, I'm deep, uh, deeply influenced and, uh, and uh, passionate about, about Augustine and his, and his theology. So it's, uh, it's focused on his political thought and city of God. And, and uh, I hope that he gets a, a wider audience well, let's uh, definitely have you back on the podcast to talk a little bit about that. That's something that I'm definitely interested in. I can't say it's my first love uh, when it comes to ethics <laughs> and philosophy, but it's definitely something I'm interested yeah. in and wanting to learn more about. So I'm uh, just really grateful for your work, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jason. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Strain and learn more about his work in the show notes, as well as a lot of the books and resources we talked about today. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning, which is designed to help you think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the top tech news. You can sign up at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. 